Hello and welcome to CAD Speaker Series Podcast. This week, CID Student Ambassador Patrick Hanhan interviews Carlos Fernandez Valdovinos, Governor of the Central Bank of Paraguay. He discusses the challenges faced by Latin American countries in the new global context, what lessons they learned from the last financial crisis, and the best policies to prepare for the next crisis. Mr. Fernandez Valdovinos, thank you very much for joining us today. Your talk at CID was titled, Challenges of Latin America Under the New Normal. What does this term mean, and how is the region reacting to this new normal? Meaning that the summer is over, we are going into the winter, especially regarding financial commodity price conditions. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be much more difficult right now to first growth, because we don't have the tailwinds, we have headwinds at this moment. Mm And also it's going to be much more costly to borrow abroad. The financial conditions tightened recently. So it's going to be a challenging years ahead for mm-hmm. Latin America, and we need to support economic growth in the future. It seems that Paraguay has been remarkably resilient in these last couple of years. For instance, you know, main exports dropped 40% a couple mm-hmm. of years ago, but Paraguay still received an improvement in the IMF rating of the country. How has Paraguay as a country been able to remain so resilient? Mm-hmm. We used to say in Paraguay that when Brazil or Argentina sneezed, we got uh, pneumonia. Mm-hmm. That was not the case recently because Brazil went into the deepest recession ever in 2015, 16, 17. It were a very bad year for Brazil and Paraguay was able to keep growing. Mm-hmm. On average, during the last five years, a little bit more than 4%. And as you mentioned, we're going to grow 4.5%. This year, that is going to be the stronger growth rate in South America. Now, how we did it? Many things. Let me try to talk about some of them. One of them, on the public sector. On the public sector, we were able to really use wisely all the fiscal and monetary space we had. What does it mean? Paraguay, since 2003, went into an IMF agreement and we're doing quite a good fiscal policy with eight consecutive years of fiscal surpluses. Mm-hmm. Given that, uh, the level of indebtedness in Paraguay went from more than 50% to less than 20% of GDP. Great. So that created a lot of space. I mean, for the time we needed the most, we were able to really go into the market and issue some bonds. To do what, you may ask? It's not that we're issuing bonds in order to finance current spending. By law, we have something we call the golden rule. All the bond issuance can go into repayment of all debt or capital spending. So there is no way we can go to the markets, issue a bond, and then use that to increase wages, as happened in many countries in Latin America before. So that room for fiscal policy allow us to issue debt and start doing a quite important process of public spending, an aggressive process of public spending on infrastructure. At the central government level, as a percentage of GDP, we were spending until 2013 only 1% of GDP on public spending. Last year, we closed at 3% of GDP. And then you have to add up also all the investment by public enterprises Mm -hmm. and so on. So at the end, we reach almost 5% of GDP on public investment. 
That was positive for us during the downturn of the region because public spending on infrastructure is good in the short run, creates a lot mm-hmm. of spending. That was the basic of Keynesianism, close the hole, but doing something on public works to create employment. But it's also very important for the medium term because it's going to increase the competitiveness mm-hmm. of the economy with better infrastructure. So that's basically on the public side. On the private side, we really were able to turn crisis into opportunity. In what sense? Paraguay is very competitive. If you look at energy prices, we have the largest electrical dam in the world. That is Itaipu, we share with Brazil. We have a very low tax base. We have a tax system that is 10, 10, 10. 10 corporate, 10 personal, and 10 VAT. So it's very competitive. Mm -hmm. We have labor sector that is quite trainable. If you look at the education, probably it's not the best. But if you go there and train those people, they are very productive. One of the factories who came recently into Paraguay mentioned to me that the level of productivity in that factory in Paraguay was not the same as the one they have in Brazil, in Romania, or in Africa. was the same as the factory they have in Korea. Mm. So it's quite amazing the level of productivity we can get. Mm-hmm. So with all this advantage, we were too shy before in order to promote the country, the pro. Mm-hmm. So what this government did in, since 2013 was the following. I took office on October 3rd. October 4th, I was taking a plane to go to New York. The same for the Minister of Industry and Commerce, the same for the Minister of Finance, and so on and so on. At the beginning, it was not easy because Paraguay didn't have the best of the advertisement abroad. But go now and check the difference between how Brazilians see Paraguay and how Brasilia saw Paraguay. Mm. If you type any of the newspaper, Brazilian newspaper, 2008, 2007, whatever, Paraguay smuggling, drug trafficking, armed trafficking, and so on. Go and type it right now. Mm. Paraguay shows the way. They say like that. So more and more Brazilian companies are seeing Paraguay as a hub for production for the Brazilian market. We were able to sell the following idea. We know you are importing something like 80 billion from China per year. We have identified 8 billion that we can produce in Paraguay at the same price of cheaper than in China. And we are next door. And on top of that, it's not that Paraguayan companies will be producing that. It's going to be Brazilian companies going into Paraguay producing so they're going to also earn some money. So this is a win-win situation. For Paraguay, creates labor. For Brazilian company, to earn some profit during the crisis. Because during the crisis, and this is the crisis into opportunity, during the crisis, what the company looks for? Looks for saving costs in order to gain some profits in the fewer sales they have. So we offer Paraguay as a hub for production, where energy is 40% less than in Brazil. When taxes, as I mentioned, is 10% instead of almost 40% in Brazil, where you don't have bureaucracy as they have over there. So many of these things were able to promote the country and a lot of foreign direct investment mm-hmm. went into Paraguay. Now, if you look at the macro number for foreign direct investment, hey, 
Yeah, increased, but not that much. And why is that? Because all these maquilas factory are actually like three, four, five million dollar investment by create a lot of labor. Mm-hmm. Labor under the maquila regime went from less than 5,000 to more than 13,000 at this moment. And in places where the social impact is quite high. For example, many of these are labor intensive using the hands. So they prefer women. Um, Within women, they prefer single mother women because they are the most responsible one. They never actually have absenteeism that that is very low. Mm -hmm. So imagine all the social impact that we're having through the Maquila regime with all those single mothers who are the only source of income for the family. Mm. So we have a win-win situation in terms of economically, we are diversifying the economy, we are creating labor, and from the social point of view, we are benefiting someone who really needs. So public sector, using fiscal space, also some monetary space because we lower the interest rate. And the private sector, like promoting the country as a hub for production, not for Paraguay that we are 7 million, but for the whole Mercosur, where Mm. we have more than 300 million, that was the key for the success. Mm. And we saw many investments going there and creating jobs and also shift the composition of the economy. And that was the reason why we were so resilient recently. I think we were smart on the policy part, but smart also on the private part where we promote the economy. Finally, we are really grabbing the fruit of more than 10 years of fiscal macroeconomic stability, by Mm. the way. We were so shy before. Now we start looking abroad and start telling the Paraguayan story. And it's very, very nice that all the people really are going into Paraguay at this moment and we can the darling suddenly. Yeah. Yeah. Again, congrats on all of your success over the last Mm -hmm. couple of years. It's quite impressive. Two related topics that came up in your talk that I wanted to explore a bit further are female inclusion in the workplace and Paraguay's investment in the education of its own citizens. You spoke about, for the first time, and I think it was 200 years, Paraguay has funded scholarships Mm -hmm. for youth to go and and study abroad and, and come back to Paraguay, hopefully. What was the drive for that initiative, and what do you think are the positive things that bring to Paraguay? We have a traditional drink that is called the terere. And I remember I was talking with the Minister of Finance. Um, He is a former central bank president, governor. And we're talking about, discussing about the scholarship that the central bank gives to all the employees. Because I went abroad to study, Mm. thanks to the central bank. And many people in the central bank went abroad. So we know very well what is the value of sending people abroad. But we concentrate too much only on the central bank. So he was thinking about, okay, why don't we do an exponential increase on that? And instead of being the central bank of Paraguay who's sending the people abroad, we do this at the government level, since he was Mm. the minister of finance. Mm. And he started thinking about, talking about people, and at the end they put in place this idea of sending people abroad for master. Uh, for PhD was the first time after 200 years because Paraguay used to be a very rich country back in the 1800s until we have the big war against Argentina, Brazil and Uruguay 
And the key for the success during that time was that the government sent to Europe many Paraguayan to study. And they went back to Paraguay and then the country started really increasing its performance during that time. Mm. So he tried to combine the idea of the central bank with that idea what, that we always had and put in place this. That is not very expensive. I mean, for a country of Paraguay, he put again initially $10 million. That was enough for many people to go abroad. I mean, for a master's degree, what is 100,000? And then the IDB came and put some other money. And then we increased also the money for other people. And now we have more than 1,000 people abroad, including right. teachers for the primary and the high school. That was quite important. The same we have for professionals, and then we have for the teachers. And the teachers are quite important because they really are going to be the one teaching our kids that are going to be the future. Mm -hmm. So this idea, and it's called BECAL because it's BECAS, Carlos Antonio Lopez. Carlos Antonio Lopez was the president that okay. 200 years ago sent the people abroad. Okay. And the idea worked very well. We expect to see really big changes in Paraguayan performance down the road. The other day, the first, some of the people who were coming back to the country gave like a conference about the experience and so on, was full house. Many people right now want to go abroad. And it used to be the case that only the people in Asuncion, the capital city and the surroundings went abroad. But right now, like people from different cities in the countryside, I mean, they are thinking about going abroad and the we want to support also those people mm -hmm. there that they, because they're not going to go back to Asuncion. They're going to go back to the other cities. So that is the beauty of being a small country. With small amount of money, you can make big changes. Mm -hmm. I mean, $10 million yeah. is nothing in the U.S., but for Paraguay, it's going to be a big impact. So that's the idea. Really, this Minister of Finance translate the idea that we have at the central bank at the government level and this is the first time in 200 years that we're doing that it's great and great. a great idea um we never regret i mean the, the central bank of paraguay is the most well-regarded institution in paraguay because of the human capital we want to become the same at the whole level right it's common today when talking about economic growth of countries to focus on the tremendous growth of the so-called asian tiger economies of Hong Kong, Taiwan, and Singapore. So while understanding that the context in Paraguay is quite different from that in Asia, are there lessons that your country can learn from the success and the practices of some of these yes. other economies? Yep. As a policymaker, you have to be careful when you adapt things that mm. really was successful in other countries. I mean, every country is different, the society right. is different, the culture is different. So you have to be careful, but that doesn't mean that you cannot really grab some good examples that are going to work everywhere. I mean, the gravity law works everywhere. Mm. So the same with some ideas in economics. And if I have to say one thing about the success also over time of the Asian tigers, I'm not going to call for government intervention because I don't trust that. And in Latin America, that was a failure. A bad copy that you can do it through the government. Mm. But I'm going to copy something that the government can do, that is education. Human capital, for me, is the key. 
in every country. If you look at the level of education in Asian countries, I mean, they put a lot of money, a lot of effort into increasing the level of education over there. And right now you see a very competitive economies in the sense that everyone wants to really study hard. Everyone wants to do the master, the university, the master, the PhD even. And I think behind the success of the Asian economies are this thing of having a better human capital for the population. Great. If I want to copy something, because you can copy many things, but that one is for me the key. I don't see any country that have a high level of education and is doing poorly. Right. I cannot think about it. So you've got five months left of your five-year term here. Really? <clears throat> yeah. How was left? I think so, I maybe know. six. <laughs> but I was wondering if you could reflect a bit on your experience as the governor of the central bank. Is there a particular policy or reform effort that you're most proud of? And additionally, <laughs> what's next for you? Oof. The second one, you have to ask my wife. Okay. She, she, see the soccer player, they have the managers. Okay. Well, she's a manager, so I don't know whether we're going to be my next step okay. going forward. And what I did, I remember that when I came and my opening speech was done at the Central Bank at the big theater we have over there, and I mentioned three things. I mentioned modernizing the inflation-targeted regime, reforming the laws, the legal framework for the financial sector, and the third one is financial inclusion. Those were the three things I mentioned. And I'm very proud of the three of them. On, on the inflation-targeted regime that was implemented in 2011, for example, we were able to decrease the target for the Central Bank of Paraguay. It used to be 5%, we reduced to 4.5%, and now to 4%. Mm. Not only we reduce that, but we also comply with that in the most difficult times. That is the difficult time we went through in Latin America. So every time we were basically at the target. So for me, really, I'm happy with that part, what we did with the inflation-targeted regime. The problem is that the people keep asking me about when it's going to be the next step, and I keep saying, ask the next governor for that. <laughs> because <laughs> we had in mind decreasing towards levels that are more compatible to other central banks in the region, and we were moving to that. We still have some room to go, but we have to be responsible, moving down the target, because one thing is to move the target, another is to comply. And comply is very important mm -hmm. for credibility. The second one are the laws that I mentioned during the speech right. that we passed in 2016, banking law. And now this Thursday, we're going to discuss in Congress the Central Bank Charter. So for me, hopefully, we're going to pass both the laws before leaving. Uh, why those laws were important? Because the current law were done during the time of the last financial crisis in Paraguay, back in 95, 97. So one thing is to pass a law in the middle of a crisis. One thing is to pass a law when everything is fine. You can think better. Mm. Plus, those laws, they were really tight in a sense. The crisis were result of no regulation at all. As usual, it's the case in the financial sector. The problem is that everything was put into the law. So introduce a lot of inflexibility into the law. Um, you can think, 95 2017, the financial sector changed a lot. We need new regulation. We have new products. 
it's a totally different financial sector. And we were not able to do anything because everything was on the law. So that's the reason why we tried to change the law. Um, we were successful. So I'm happy to the second part of my performance. And on the third one is the issue of financial inclusion. That is a topic I always liked. And in a country of Paraguay, we have a financial sector that may be 50% of GDP in terms of assets or liability. It's really because you have all the corporates into that. We don't have like a lot of people into the financial sector, especially the poorest one. And I'm a believer that in order to improve the quality of life of those people living into poverty, we really need to grant them access to the financial sector. They need to get loans in order to really do the investment. They need to do it by itself because I understand social transfer in the short run is important to alleviate. But over time, it's not sustainable. I mean, you cannot have one guy for 50 years in the same transfer. You need to really provide the means for them by himself or herself. The access to the financial sector is quite important. Mm -hmm. We did many things. One of the things we did was to allow e-wallet in Paraguay. We passed the regulation to that. That was costly with the banking sector because they wanted to do... This is a comp huge competition right. for them. It was not easy. Right. I was not the most popular guy with the banking sector after we passed the resolution for that. But we were able to pass that. We were also implementing some uh, accounts that are simplified in the requirements because the poor people doesn't mm -hmm. have many things. So we were able to open what we call cuentas básica, basic accounts, where the level of documentation you need to comply is, is less, but again, you cannot start moving a lot of money into that account. It's, it's limited the amount of money that you can move, but it's also a way for promoting financial inclusion over there. We're able to really design a national strategy for financial inclusion where the central bank is there with the Minister of Finance, the Minister of Planning, and also another regulator of the cooperativas. So I'm also happy to that. So again, summing up, I'm happy with the two target. I really fixed on my, uh, my objective uh, five years ago. Um, and of course, there are more things to do, but uh, you always have to leave something because otherwise they become bored at the central <laughs> bank. You need to. Yeah. One final question, if I may. A lot of our listeners today are Kennedy School students who might be interested in returning to their home countries after mm -hmm. graduation to pursue employment at the central bank or another government position in their country. What advice do you have for people interested in starting a career in government? It's a lot of envy I have because you're coming with a Harvard degree over <laughs> there, so that opens a lot of doors any country in the world. It's really good that this is part of the capital formation of any country. And the best policies are in places where you have the best people also mm -hmm. with the, the best human capital. So try to take advantage to really make a change in the positions you are returning. And that's a matter what country you are from. Mm -hmm. You always have to aim to leave your country in a better position from what you have received. This is what we try to do with this government. I wanted to leave the central bank in a better position than the one that I received. And that was quite challenging because, as I mentioned today at the speech, 
we are ce we celebrate 74th anniversary of our national currency in October last year. So there were many very good governors before myself. But it's always nice also to try to put the bar a little bit higher and leave a little bit higher for the next one. The roof of the house cannot come before a very strong base and also a very strong walls. So we need to build little by little the house that we want. So go there, you have the means in the sense of human capital and aim to really do much better than the thing that they're doing at this moment. This is a good goal for you when you go to government over there. Great. Well, Mr. Fernandez Valdovinos, thank you again for sharing your time and experience with us today and best of luck for continued success. Thank you very much to you. If you want to learn more about CID and our events, please visit cid.harvard.edu.